Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. And so I always have an introduction that sometimes can go on for some time at the beginning here, sometimes up to 20 minutes. And so if you're watching by video, you'll always see in the information below when the actual message or the song, worship song, both of which are cast by lot before God, begins. For those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that you can read that answers some very hard questions, even among evangelical Christians and so on. Many questions are answered in that flip book, which also has print highlighted in red throughout it, which are actually links to YouTube videos that you can watch, which are very profound and amazing that expose from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am talking about and the greatness of the mastery of deception that has been given to the public to believe so many lies. This is irrefutable evidence that is presented in those videos and in that message in that flipbook at ultimatemeaning.com. I also have some videos there that explain what ultimate meaning and purpose could only possibly be, who God could only possibly be, what the truth could only possibly be, because I'm not here to just believe in something, to have a cause. I am here to believe in what is ultimately real and the meaning for which I exist and all things consist and exist in creation. And so I want to explain this a bit more to you. Amazingly, today, when I cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible with two independent applications, and thus get two chapters that bear witness with each other as to the message and theme, the theme today, which I don't normally share until about 16 or 20 minutes sometimes into the message, or it could be even as early as eight minutes, but that theme today is on truth, which you will discover. And I also also cast lots to receive a song out of the possibility of 1,080 songs. And so that will be played before the message. But I want to share with those that are new what truth is, and particularly emphasize that today and make it part of the message, as it is often what I describe in my introduction. So what is truth? Well, if you look up the word truth in a dictionary, and you look it up in various dictionaries, you will discover it basically means that which is real, that which is reality. And so when you look up the word reality, or the word real, you will discover that basically that word means that which is absolute, which is indestructible, which is unchangeable. There's only one quality that could possibly be that. I want to, in a very integral, scientific way, describe that quality, which is the only quality that could possibly be the truth, ultimate reality, the source of all reality, the source of creation, of the reason for all things, or the reason for which you exist, and that is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is also the very source of love. And so I must clearly define what I mean by love. 
you have in the Greek language three different types of love in the Greek New Testament. You've got eros, which is sexual love, and then you have philia, which is the love of feeling and emotion. But the highest form of love is agape love. And it says in 1 John, and repeatedly says it, that God is love. The Almighty, the Creator, is love. So what is this love? Well, this agape love is above feeling. An emotion. It could include those things, certainly. No, this love is a quality that always innately chooses the highest lasting good, freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure that, as it were, in its integrity, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the lasting, the highest lasting good. It is the antithesis of corruption, the opposite of corruption. In fact, it is the destroyer of corruption. This love will not condone the slightest that is contrary to love in its purity and its integrity, which is the defensive aspect of this love who is God, also known as the holiness of God, or you could describe it as the holiness of his love. This is represented in nature, which is, consists of negative and positives in all things that are formed and held together. you got math, negative, and positive symbol. You've got mathematics, negative and positive symbol. The negative symbol I have just described, and in it represents an indestructible foundation. It represents cutting off all corruption. Out of the negative symbol, the positive symbol is formed by crossing out the negative symbol. And that represents the second aspect of this love, that it is so great that without inviolating its integrity and its purity, it has always been beyond the time and space realm, in the infinite past, always had the capacity, not only the capacity, but in fact has always been in reality a love that could take judgment upon itself or itself, for free will beings created such as us in this world. This love is so great that, yes, God, who is love, became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross in Jesus Christ. This love humbled God. Can you imagine this? God, the one that created this vast universe with myriads of galaxies, and there's billions of stars and, and galaxies, millions of stars and galaxies, and there's millions, and I, I don't even know how many galaxies there are, and our star is a small star compared to many other stars. Our star, our sun, is a thousand times greater than the earth. There are more stars than the sand grains of the sea out there. And God comes to his creation in this little planet Earth. Mind you, I will say that they now do believe, although they can't definitively prove it, but all the observe, observing of the stars indicates that this planet is in about the center of the universe of all those galaxies. And of course, you can talk about billions, you know, oh, come, the stars are billions of light years away. I know I'm getting a little sidetracked here. But really, there is something called relativity in relation to gravity and time. It's not, and, and so gravity in its energy can cause time 
to change. And since the Earth is in about the center of what is observed out of there, this causes a tremendous um, effect so that the Earth could have been created here in 24 hours, but the same time out there would be billions of years. Now, I'm not here to explain it. You can go to a, on my website. I have a link to Genesis Science Network that explains all about time and how time can be different in the way it works. Like I just described, the Earth being here and the stars being way out there. But I don't have time to... This is not the topic here. What I want to focus on here, bringing things back to focus, is that God's love is so great that he created this vast universe and he came and he can, yes, he is so great that he can communicate with what he created on this one little planet in the midst of this vast universe. In fact, in Genesis 18, you have the historical account of Abraham at his tent door and three angels, well, they don't, they look like three human beings, but very majestic. So he's at his tent door in the heat of the day. He sees these three men there. He runs to them and says, I want to, in essence, I want to make a meal for you, a really wonderful meal. And so the, these three beings, majestic beings, say, go ahead, and they be. And so Abraham is eating with them. And one of them he dresses as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God in the Hebrew language, in the original Hebrew of the Bible. In English, it's the word for Lord often. The most sacred name for God, Yahweh, meaning the ultimate reality, separate above and beyond creation, the I am that I am. In essence, basically meaning that. Yes, God. He condescended to this world in Jesus Christ, and he, Jesus Christ, had a meal with Abraham, who was God in the flesh, right back there. And yes, he came and lived a perfect life, though he was tempted in every way as we were. And through his obedience, as it were, took the first man, Adam, in whom we all have our source and whose sin and whose nature that is sinful, we tend to have those same tendencies. He took the first man, Adam, Jesus Christ, who is like the second Adam, and through his obedience, as it were, nailed him to death on the cross. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. He suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross so that you could repent and be reconciled to God and choose to receive everlasting life, to receive the very source of this love that is the very source of life abundant, of pleasures that are ever enlarging according to your own uniqueness of creativity and will ever enlarge in fellowship with God and the myriads of his creation, such as the many varieties of angels and other creations that are in heaven. In fact, I've written a book which you can purchase on Amazon called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. And this is 368 pages of a large six by nine paperback. You can also get it, of course, on your phone or your iPad or whatever in Kindle format with lots of links going straight to exact locations and YouTube videos, etc. But there you have people that have been highly verified as dead. Some like Dean Braxton for almost two hours. You can look them up yourself on the internet. Dean and then Braxton, B-R-A-X-T-O-N. Type in N-D-E standing for near-death experiences and Dean Braxton. Dean describes, and so does Dale Black and others. They describe that when they were standing before Jesus Christ, who is in such brightness and glory that there's no way to even put it in earth language. You're in a dimension that's so much more superior than this mere physical third dimension, which you can discover about in my flip book at ultimatemeaning.com. There's a video on it. Particle physics has discovered far superior dimensions to the physical dimension, all the way up to the 10th. All of those are superior to the third. 
fourth is superior, fifth is superior to the fourth, etc. Yes. They, when they were before Jesus Christ in heaven, the brightness and the glory and the love emanating from him is something that you cannot describe in mere earth language. It was so great and powerful and intense. When they looked into his face, first they couldn't look in his face. They were looking at his feet, and I'm not going to go into all the details here. But they finally could look in his face. And his face is like liquid crystal and it seems to change slightly all the time. His eyes were blazing with brightness, blue, and other colors. There are colors in that dimension that don't exist in this. And in those eyes was such love that you cannot imagine or can describe or comprehend the love that was being shown to them. His hair was white, bright, like snow, very bright white. And he had a crown on his head that was brighter than like the sun, with rays coming out like rainbow rays going up into the heavens with no end. And his hair was wrapped around those rays. And he's smiling at them in his glory, sometimes appearing 21 feet tall, sometimes 7 feet tall to others. Whatever is best for them. He puts them in his lap when he's 21 feet tall and has fellowship with them. He, he's more humorous than a normal human being. He's very... It's, everything is way more amplified in his love and his fellowship. He can be ironic. He can humor you and so on. Yeah. If you're born again and you're cleansed and you're forgiven. And when they were there before him, they knew that if he only had created them, that he would have gone to the cross and died just for them if they were the only one he created. They knew he loved them that much. They knew It felt like they were the only one that existed in the universe and that they were the apple of God's eye. The love that God had for them was so intense. And yes, he loved you enough that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross. He suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. How can you reject this love? Why would you reject this love? Oh, just receive this love. Receive it. Just call out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cleanse me of my sin by your blood that was shed on the cross and your body that was broken unto death. And he will. Come into my life with your spirit. I make you the center treasure of my life. My love, Master. My husband, my center treasure, I mean, spiritually speaking, my husband. But my bridegroom, because the corporate body of Christ is represented as the bride and Christ as the head that inhabits the, the corporate body as the bridegroom. God is calling you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's very wonderful good news that I'm sharing. That you can have a destiny that never ends in fulfillment that is far greater than any earthly pleasure, than sexual pleasure in this world or anything else. Far greater. In fellowship with God. In fellowship with his creation. But you must acknowledge that he will not tolerate sin. He is holy. His love has integrity. It is severe. And when people refuse his love and refuse to repent and to let go of their nature that is grasping like a black hole in outer space, they need to give it to him and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It doesn't mean that you won't still have a nature that is going to tend to grasp after things, but it does mean it's begun to die and a new divine nature has been planted in you that like a seed will grow and eventually become great within you like a plant growing and filling you up 
and your identity will more and more come out of that tendency of corruption into non-corruption, into a beautiful union of love with your Creator. Now, the whole theme I'm describing here is truth. So what I want to emphasize here is that what I just described of God's love is what the truth is. The truth can be likened onto a diamond glass that cannot be broken, that can contain water without it leaking out because there's no crack. God's being of love, first in its integrity and then in the fact that God is so great that he would love us that much to become an atoning, perfect, substitutionary sacrifice is the definition of what truth is. It is a quality where there is what is ultimately constructive and can go on forever and ever enlarge in creativity against the tendency that is in this universe of disorder. As we know, the second law of thermodynamics says that everything left on its own goes in a direction of disorder to complete destruction. And the evidence that we are in a highly organized, highly designed universe with cells that are so complicated and DNA that is so complicated points to the fact that there is a God. Because that law, the second law of thermodynamics, would indicate that we should have in the infinite past been reduced to total chaos, but here we are in a highly organized universe. And God loves you so much. He wants you to find the fulfillment of your being. You were created to find fulfillment that is ultimate in union with the Creator, with God. So I am dis I want to put on go on to just define this truth a bit more. Do you know that the symbol of the cross is also the exact way the last letter of the alphabet was written in the most ancient languages, including the Hebrew language, going back to 1500, 2000 BC and possibly earlier. Now, I do know that archaeological evidence makes it very clear that Joseph was the one that developed the alphabet for the Hebrew language. That has been shown by a highly renowned archaeologist, David Roll, R-H-O-L. But this last symbol of the alphabet in those days, there was the Phoenician language, there was the Hebrew language, they all had this, this symbol, the last letter. It was exactly like the symbol of the cross. So, so much for the atheists trying to get rid of the symbol of the cross. The symbol of the cross was there from the beginning of time, from the beginning of history. And I want to point out something else, which I saw in Genesis Science Network. There's a link to that on my website. Amazing documentaries, 24-7. Some of them are really interesting. I saw one where they were talking about DNA and all the new discoveries and how evolutionists thought they had some evidence that man, man was living for long using junk DNA, but now the evidence is showing the opposite. Now they've learned how they can figure out time by going into DNA, and they know that man only goes back 6,000 years, so there you go. No, evolution is a total lie. It's based on pseudoscience, Every aspect of it you will find out on the Genesis Science Network, which I have a link to there, is exposed as a fraud with irrefutable evidence. And I could go into hours talking about all the evidence in the fossils, and, and, and there's so much there. I mean, the fact that there's no missing link. The fact that there's very complex fossils in the very lowest layers, including a footprint of, of a shoe in the Cabrian layer with a trilobite in it, and many other things that have been verified by spectography to not be fake, and so on. And I mean, you can go on and on. And it, evolution is finished because there's so many discoveries now from every field that have exposed its fraud, 
It's mastery of deception. And if people want to believe a lie, you go ahead. The Word of God says in the last days that God will give them strong delusion to believe a lie that they might be all condemned who love not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you want to have some temporal pleasure in this world and put that first before the one that created you and be deceived by the bait of that thing that will be used by the powers of darkness and evil people to manipulate your life in a path of destruction to hell, that's your choice. But it's very easy to come before God and humble ourselves. Let the pride break in you and cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So I didn't get, that's quite a big introduction, but I'm going to go into the song I received today by the casting of Lot, and we will begin the message. And I don't know what I'm going to speak because the way I do these messages is... I cast lots before God with two independent random applications so that I get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible. And then I meditate on those two chapters for only a half an hour. This time I even did less because I was going back to some of the others I got during the week because I'm only, only going to speak once this week. And today is Friday. I will say I did get interrupted in my message there, so just that's fine. I'm continuing on here with the message. So we're going to go, and I was explaining to you that I get these by the casting of Lot, and so I don't know what I'm going to preach on, but the Word of God says this. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do. That's in 1 Peter 4.11. And I want to amplify this. It also says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I am here to allow God to speak out of me prophetically as the oracles of God. In other words, to speak as the oracles of God by doing it out of worship. It's only as we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a true, pure heart of love for God that we are filled with His Spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances beyond ourselves and in enlightenment from the Spirit of God as we are speaking. So I will seek to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship as I give this message. So we will go ahead now and uh, we will get into that worship song that I've chosen. So we will bring that up right now. And here we go. I, I should mention that these songs are on my website at loverealize.com. And also at ultimatemeaning.com, you can find them easily, worship songs or whatever I put up there on the top menu. And I'm very particular that they are high-quality songs. There's a few I don't like that much that I might not continue to have on there. I have 144 of them because today in the typical churches, they sing the same songs over and over. They tend to be very lacking in creativity from the Spirit of God with very little meaning and depth in the words. So this is one, not one of the greatest ones that I love the most, but one that is good with the words. And so I just want to us to sing this song now together. So here we go with this song.
not be defeated since Christ my conquering King has called me to the battle which he did surely win. Come Lord and give me courage thy conquering spirit So we will go and I will share with you what I received today by the casting of Lot before God. Today, on Friday, June the 2nd, I received Psalm 60 and 2 John chapter 1. The theme verses in both of these chapters are highlighted in green. In Psalm 60, beginning at verse 4, it says, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. That is the theme in this chapter. In 2 John chapter 1, I also received the following, and I will read. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. We go on here. 
And this commandment of the Father is explained in the following verses. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. That word is agape, love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. And what did Christ command in this other epistle which is written, which is 1 John? He commanded us to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He also made it clear that the law is fulfilled in this, that we love God with all our heart, with all our being, with all our mind, with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And so, when we walk after his commandments, it means we are walking after his truth because we are coming into union with his love. And I already described to you in great depth and detail what God, who is love, could only possibly be. But I want to emphasize something more that I forgot to emphasize to those that are new, so I'll put it in right here. There is no love that you can imagine what, as what I described that could be imagined to be greater or that could exist that is greater. Only this love could be an ultimate trustworthiness that would be worthy to be entrusted with unlimited power, unlimited life, and unlimited authority without using it in a corrupt way or, use, or being corrupted by it. Thus indicative of being the very source. Only this could be who the one true eternal God is. The God that could love us so much to become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for us without inviolating the integrity of his love thereby. So the truth, which is in the symbol of the cross, is first the integrity of his love which is transcendent in the mercy of his love to us who have received his love by repenting of our sins, asking for his forgiveness, and receiving his mercy, receiving union, and being reconciled back to God. Now I beseech thee. And so we read that. And so that is... We go on and we read this. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full, war, full reward. When you do not confess that God was manifested, actually, when you use that word Jesus Christ, that word Jesus Christ, the one that says Jesus Christ, the anointed, is referring to God. It is not referring to some human being with sin in his life. This is referring to the one true eternal God, the God that appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18, the one that is mentioned in Hebrews, I believe it is. It might be Hebrews 11, I've forgotten, who's referred to as Melchizedek, who had no beginning or end of days, is referring again to Jesus Christ and Melchizedek gave wine and bread as a symbol spiritually to Abraham. And here we are, Abraham's having communion with Jesus Christ in the flesh in the Old Testament with Melchizedek, and he's giving him bread and wine just like it was given by Jesus Christ in the Last Supper to the disciples. But the deceivers want to say 
that it's not God who came in the flesh and conquered corruption in the flesh. The big denial is to deny that God had a moral perfect perfection of being, of love, that was totally free. Yes, he had the capacity to, with free will, disobey the Father, but because of his love and his union and his conformity in union with the Father, out of his free will, he always, in all tempts, as the Bible says, he was tempted in all points, as we are, and yet did not sin. Even on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the forsaking only of feeling the presence of the Father, but his spirit was still trusting the Father, even though he was being allowed to be slain by the Father. As the word of God says, though he slay me, yet while I trust him, he still had a selfless trust in the Father, like an open hand. That represents selflessness. Faith, boasting, or self-glory is excluded by what? The law of faith. A faith, a moral persuasion in the perfection of the being of God that reciprocates the perfection of God's being first in love and appreciation of this holiness. And yes, God can be severe in our own lives. God can allow even those that are his children to go through great trials, so it seems like God's against them, like he's slaying them. But we need to know such a moral persuasion in the perfection of the being of God and his creativity that he can take the greatest contradictions and make all the greater beauty out of it. For his purpose in allowing trials in our lives is to bring us into full conformity to his being of love, which was ultimately revealed in the fact that Christ on the cross could maintain a union with the Father even though he experienced the forsaking of God's presence and the judgment of God upon him for the sins of the world. He still in his soul and his spirit was in selfless union with the Father because his being of love is who God is. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he conquered corruption and death in the flesh. And so I'm very leery, very leery and very concerned when I've heard certain teachers which are well received in many charismatic and evangelical churches these days that teach, oh, Jesus ceased to be God. In fact, he became like a worm and he wasn't even God. And he got born again just like us. That's not taught in the word of God. And that's dangerous. That tends to deny that it was God who conquered death in the flesh. How can you say that he became a worm and was not God and became just like us? No. It says in Romans 1.4 that he rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness. It was the spirit of holiness in Christ that maintained a union with the Father that allowed the Father to raise him from the dead. And to deny that the being of God is of such ultimate perfection that it could conquer corruption in the flesh and death in the flesh so that he rose again is dangerous. It is deceptive. And another thing that concerns me is when I've heard teaching that teaches that when before Adam fell that he was totally equal with God and an exact duplicate of God and that he was totally the same as God basically this is what this person was saying that is totally contrary to the fear of God and do you know that the verse the other theme verse here is saying what in relation to the fear of God it is saying this Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. What is the banner that God is giving us 
that fear him. The banner is the glory of God shining out of us, his presence and his glory that is dwelling in us, Christ the hope of glory, shining out of us as it did in Christ, who it describes in 1 John chapter 1, was full of grace and truth, and we beheld his glory, it says. And yes, the glory of God does shine out of us like a banner that's very evident. It says in Isaiah 60, prophesying of the last days, that gross darkness would cover the earth. And then it says, Arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And in this hour there is gross darkness covering the earth. There is corruption as never before and governments being exposed. And the institutions of man and corporations. And in the contrast of that great darkness, God is calling his people to rise and shine, and it has to do with turning back to God out of the genuine fear of God. The fear of God is the, is the receiving first fully of who God is in the integrity of his love or in the holiness of his love, recognizing his severity against sin and even his severity in our own lives against corruption. That yes, if we are his children and we've truly asked him to be the treasure of our life, we will pray the prayer that God exhorts the church that was deceived by lukewarm, false teachings that are lukewarm and false. The church of Laodicea. What does he say to them? You say I'm rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, but do not know that you're wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. When you buy of God gold that's tried in the fire, you're saying to God, I want you to deal with any corruption in my life and to put me through the trials, though I will kick and scream and throw temper tantrums probably as well before I'm broken in like a horse, being broken in by the rider. But I'd rather pray that prayer and say, God, God, help me to be clay before you, to become a vessel unto honor, that can show forth your glory and be used for your glory. The fear of God is receiving the holiness of God in such a way that even if God would slay us, we would trust him. As it says in the word of God, lean not on thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy steps. Acknowledging God is acknowledging him first in his holiness, that he is severe on sin, that his love is so pure he will not tolerate corruption in our lives. But out of that, there when we, re, we, we surrender to that love of God and his purity, we also can come before him and whenever we sin or we fall short, we can say, God, forgive me, cleanse me. And we can pick up and go on. And it's like gold being refined in the fire. The dross comes to the surface. It's skimmed off. It's skimmed off. But eventually, there's no more dross. And you can see your face reflected in the molten gold. And that is what God is seeking to do. The fear of God is receiving the holiness of God and recognizing it as good and wonderful in its purity to deal with corruption. It means that there will be a destiny without corruption in heaven forever. And that heaven will eventually come onto this earth and conquer it. He, Christ is returning with his kingdom. That ultimate powerful dimension way beyond the physical is going to evade this very shallow third dimension. I can't go into all the details of how that will happen. But in this verse here, The banner is displayed because the truth 
which is God, is dwelling in us. And we are reciprocating the truth, which is described as these two aspects of love that I've described. First, the holiness of God's love, out of which issues in transcendence, the mercy of God's love and his grace and favor. Beyond the mercy of God's love and love towards us. And yes, even an outward banner is wonderful to have when we have the truth in us in such a way. God is calling us as his people back to the genuine fear of God. And I want to share in the end the vision that God has put in my heart. I've written a book on it called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. God is calling for a new order to come into local assemblies across the this nation of Canada where I live and across the United States and throughout the world to fulfill John 17, the ultimate union that is described there that Christ has prayed for his people to enter into. It is the zeal of his heart to have a corporate bride on the earth before his coming that will also be what will bring in the harvest so that it fully matures as described in Ephesians 4 that we should all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a mature man, unto the fullness of the stature of Christ, that we with all saints should comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of God, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And when we're filled with the fullness of God corporately, and we go forth as individuals into the world, the greater works will follow, especially in this hour when so many people are filled with hopelessness and do not know the reason for which they were created. I'm just going to go on and read this a bit. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves. I described who the deceivers are, the ones that deny that Christ, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh, that God has come in the flesh, and conquered sin and death, corruption in the flesh. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. The doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ, to love God with all our heart, and mind and being and strength in our neighbors ourselves, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another. To believe is to have moral persuasion, to have faith in who God is. In these two aspects is the genuine faith. To believe in a God that will tolerate sin or a God that is like a dictator that Cain had because he became thankful because of all the consequences of God's judgment on sin around him and how he himself was suffering in this fallen world, he developed a distorted perception of God out of the bitterness or unthankfulness that was in him and began to perceive God as someone that needed to be submitted to where you did performance like a dictator. He lost sight of the fact that the integrity of God's love, that is, the holiness of God, was good in its severity. So we do not focus on the suffering around us. That Why did God allow all of this? It is insignificant compared to the ultimate purpose that is being birthed out of the travail of that birthing. It is bringing forth a corporate bride. It is insignificant to have sawdust and debris as a result, but out of it comes a beautiful mansion that can be inhabited. And those stones and that debris that refused to receive the love of God, it is because it was chosen by themselves. They are free will beings. They are the source of their own action. They are self-responsible. Therefore, if they choose to be hardened against the love of God, they will be cut off from God's love in a realm of torment that is beyond what you can imagine in this physical dimension. I'm warning you. You can read about it in my book, Afterlife Incredible, Irrefutable. People that have been experienced 
hell and God had mercy on them and brought them back through medical equipment or whatever. They say the torment is way greater than anything that you can possibly experience in the physical body. And it goes on without end for some. Possibly for all, I don't know. I'm not going to get into details of that. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not, if there come unto you any, if there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. God is wanting us to be those that do not condone those things that God hates. And I know the struggle I go through with all of us. All of us go through a struggle, even as believers. It's so easy to condone things that God hates. It says that we're not to be the partakers of other people's sins. So someone comes into your life and they claim to be a Christian and everything, and they need all they have all kinds of problems and you want to help them out of the human compassion that God put in you that's even natural. But sometimes God calls us to be those who come into such a conformity of God's love that we will hate with the same intensity that God's love hates what is contrary to his love and love with the same intensity what God's love loves. It says in Hebrews, you have hated unrighteousness and loved righteousness, therefore God thy God has anointed thee above thy fellows, referring to Jesus Christ. So we are called to be those that walk in the truth. Walking in the truth means this, that we love one another, but our identity is in God, not in one another, so that we're willing to be misunderstood and rejected by others if what they are doing is contrary to the integrity of God's love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. May we love one another. May we be clothed with humility, but walk in authority before one another out of that humility. May we learn to wash one another's feet, spiritually speaking, and also literally it's a good practice. To humble ourselves before God and before one another, confessing one another's faults, as the word of God commands us to, that we may be healed because it is this that brings the unity that releases the greater works of the Spirit of God, that brings God to come down into a living temple of stones and fully inhabit it, to find habitation with his corporate bride in your assembly. And I forgot to tell you, I, can, I started and didn't finish. I have this book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It's all about what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. I want to finish with saying this. In the book, I mention a strategy. I believe the hour is urgent and that people in every major town and city and every possible town and city where this can be done. The churches come together on a long weekend for three days of fasting and prayer to cry mightily unto God and to truly seek him not have something where people are up at the front entertaining you or giving you sermons or praying prayers. No, everyone needs to get up on their faces before God and really seek him in prayer for three days across the nation of the United States and Canada. You want to see your nation turn back to God? This is where it starts, and then you never go back to being the church the way it was. You don't limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your life individually, or in the local assembly. That means you don't start off with your singing. You get on your faces before God and you make the main church service a prayer meeting. And out of that, there's reverence and awe and you become more conscious of Christ in your midst. And out of that flows songs of worship and praise. And then there's full facilitation by the leadership and everyone else to make sure that everyone can move freely in the gifts of the Spirit without having to ask permission to use the mic or whatever, to speak forth as the Spirit leads them to speak forth. 
as the oracles of God. And then the leadership can preach after that. That's a new order God wants to bring in the church. Well, thank you for watching this message or listening to it. If you're only on podcast, thank you. God bless you all.